Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from CBS. And yes, everybody we talk to that works at CBS and sports uh, is a product of Syracuse University and their broadcast program. The play-by-play man is Andrew Catalan, who joins us now. Hello, Andrew. How are you? You know, I thought that under five feet tall thing was an intro for me. I'm actually five <laughs> eight, but I thought that's how you guys were bringing me on the show. <laughs> Can you imagine how big of a crank I would be to do that? <laughs> oh, oh man, I, I just I was thinking about if I ever needed to get my resume going again, I'm just going to write Syracuse University on it and hand it in. You know what I mean? It's a good group of people, but by far not the only school out there that you can go to. And I talk to a lot of young kids who want to be broadcasters, and they go to schools all across the country. But I do have a lot of pride in my school. My wife went there as well, and uh, we, got a, we got a nice group. So I'm, I'm proud to have gone there. What, what do you do? Obviously, on Sundays you're doing this, and you and uh, Tiki and Matt Ryan and A.J. Ross together for the game in Nashville with the uh, Colts and the Titans on Sunday. What do you do weeks leading up to it besides, obviously, prep for that Sunday game? You know, honestly, that's, that's what I do. I prep for it. I mean, obviously, I get a little time with the family because I'm gone every weekend during the year. But, you know, the, there's 106 guys that I got to know. And I had the Titans a few weeks ago, but I haven't had the Colts yet this year. And, I, you know, I had them a couple times last year. But, you know, new coach, new quarterback. A lot of things are new about this Colts team. So it's watching film. It's reading the, the clippings from each city every day. And, uh we did our production meeting with the Titans today. We'll meet with the Colts on Saturday when they land, and then it's on to the next one uh, on Sunday night. Yeah, I'm glad. And Andrew Catalan joins us of CBS. You get on the call on CBS coming up on Sunday. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, incredibly disappointing year, certainly in Nashville, for Mike Vrabel and company. What uh, When you talked with them a little bit earlier today, what um, what, what were they talking about as far as where they are and what they're trying to get out of this final month of the season? Yeah, you know, they played well at home. They're 4-0 at home and 0-7 everywhere else. Um, You know, when I look at this team, you know, I see a team in transition, obviously a quarterback. They've gone from Tannehill to Levis. And I think there's, you know, some promise there with Levis, but he's still a rookie. He's only played five games so far. And, you know, honestly, their offensive line – you can make the case was poorly constructed, but you can also make the case they've been banged up and they've had a ton of injuries. So, you know, there's, it's hard for me, like when we had their game in Tampa a few weeks ago, it was hard for me to come away with an evaluation of Will Levis because I didn't think he had any time to throw. I mean, he was just running for his life every time. So they're going to try to start the same offensive line for the second consecutive game, which for them is big because they've had eight different starting offensive line combinations this year. Uh, you know, they made the trade of Kevin Byer to Philly in late October. That, you know, that that was an interesting move, and certainly their defense is trying to recover from that. So, it's you know, it's a team in transition. I do like Mike Vrabel as a coach. I mean, I think that the players like him, and they play hard for him, and I think they'll play hard in this game, a division rival. But, you know, it's not the same Tennessee teams that we've seen make the playoffs, you know, in years past. 
No, it's 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 not. But they do still have some players there. There's no doubt about that. What? Uh, and again, I know you had to kind of sift through just not having any protection and running for your life. But when you factor in Will Levis as a rookie, you go back to that first week that he he got the call there. He was outstanding and had everybody wondering. And then since that point in time, is what you're going to get logically with a rookie quarterback. He is going to have you know a downhill slide. What what have you made of? his time as a starter just besides the film that you watched on their game last week? Yeah, well, you, you mentioned it, four touchdowns in his debut against Atlanta, but only two touchdown passes since. I think that, you know, I've met with him twice now. He's fearless. He's not going to be intimidated. He's not a guy that gets happy feet in the pocket. He can make all the throws. Uh, he's very self-critical of himself. He'll watch the film and say, I need to do this better He's got a lot of traits and characteristics that you like in a, in a quarterback. I just think it takes time for rookies, especially when you transition in the middle of the season. I, I think Tannehill is helping him, uh, but that's never easy either when you've got you know, the veteran who's been doing it for a while. Uh, you know, again, I think Tannehill's a professional, but I just think there's a lot of moving parts, starting with the offensive line, starting with a new QB. I mean, this is the first time that he has film of his offense going against the Colts from week five, even though it wasn't him playing. So that was interesting to get his take on that today. Like, how much do you you read into that film? He's never even had that in college where he's played the same team twice. So I just think everything is kind of new for him, as it is for rookie QBs. But I think there's a lot to like about this guy. It might just take a little time. So Jonathan Taylor had the thumb surgery yesterday. He is going to miss some time, and certainly on Sunday. Zach Moss, however, rarely do you find this. Zach Moss is still in the top 10 among running backs in the NFL in yardage right now. So I I guess, and again, Jonathan Taylor to me is really their lone, true, keeps you up at night type of game breaker offensively that the Colts have. And I'm not going to at all minimize exactly without him what this team is going to look like, but Zach Moss is a guy that we have seen this season that can give you what is needed from game to game when called upon, and certainly, Andrew, that's the case in that Colts backfield on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I do the Bills preseason games. I've done them for about eight years now, so I saw Moss a bunch every summer. And he never, you know, he was kind of pinned as that short yardage back, right? I mean, they had Singletary, who they thought was kind of going to be their – you know, primary back, and then Moss would come in, you know, goal line situations. You never really saw him get a, you know, a a shake to kind of be the lead guy. I mean, a couple times the Bills tried it, and it just didn't catch, didn't stick. So I find it interesting that he's had an opportunity here with with Taylor out early in the year, and then the way the Colts worked him back to kind of be that lead back, and he seems to have really embraced it so I agree with you I think they're in a good spot here with Zach I mean obviously you don't want to go into a game without you know one of the best if not the best running backs in the league but in a situation like this you know a a lot of teams don't have a a guy that they can turn to who's 10th in the league in rushing yards so you know also the thing that sticks out is the Colts have had to do this already this year without Taylor so it's not like this is the first time that they've had Moss and nobody you know, like Taylor behind them or next to him. So I think that'll help in this situation as well. You find yourself surprised the Colts right now as a seventh seed in the AFC wild card picture as we start the month of December. And I know I didn't have them there. I didn't have them anywhere close. I, you haven't seen them. I, I realize that just yet. But you surprised that they right now are in the position in which they are in in that postseason picture in the AFC? 
Well, let's put it this way. It's, I think there's, it's hard to be surprised in the NFL because so many crazy things happen. But if you would ask me before the year, do I think the Colts are a playoff team? I probably would have said no. I mean, I, I just think that um, I, I couldn't say, you know, couldn't be more impressed by the job that the rookie head coach has done, the rookie QB when he was in there. And then I've done a lot of Gardner Minshew games going back to Jacksonville. And look, I mean, he, he's a guy that, you know, he's got he's fearless. He goes in there and, and he is so damn competitive. And, and, you know, I can't say and sit here and say that I'm surprised that he's having success. I know it's eight touchdowns, seven interceptions. I wouldn't it's not like he's lighting the league up, but he's doing a good job in there. And, and that that doesn't surprise me knowing him a little bit. Um, but there's no doubt that I didn't think this team would be fighting for a playoff spot in December. I think it's something to embrace if you're a Colts fan. And, and I think that there's a lot of positive signs about this team going forward. You and uh, Tiki Barger, Barber, along with Matt Ryan, in a booth together. A.J. Ross is on the sideline. Andrew Ketelon of CBS on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. When you're three in a booth like that, is it easier or more difficult as the play-by-play guy to keep things going? There's definitely more challenges than having two. I mean, it's it's more of a challenge for the two analysts than me. I mean, I'm going to get in there and call the play. Uh, they know that they have to get out by the time the snap happens. But then for them, who decides whose turn it is or who talks about that play or that replay? Uh, there's a lot of hand signals that go on in our booth. There's a lot of tapping shoulders going back and forth. Uh, so I, Honestly, for me, it's, you know, yeah, I, I don't have as much time maybe in between plays, but I know I'm still going to call the play. It's more on them, and, and to their credit, they've done a great job. I mean, both those guys have no ego. They're selfless. They just want the product to sound good, and, and I've been really impressed with the way that they've both handled that. Yeah, it was an, an absolute circus here a year ago, and I'm sure you've probably talked to Matt Ryan because he was certainly one of the rings in the, in that circus or a part of it last year. Is What's his anticipation of being a part of, of your broadcast team? And I'm, I'm guessing the first time this season he's also done a Colts game. It is because we've been together all year. You know, it's funny because we did the Colts at Titans game last year, so I pulled out my chart from last year, and Matt Ryan <laughs> is on that chart. <laughs> Uh, and now he's next to me in the booth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, things have changed in the past year. But I give Matt a lot of credit because he had never he had never done this before. I mean, he it's not like, you know, he was doing, like, college games or anything. I mean, he just kind of walked into an NFL booth. And I, I think that's, that's a really hard thing to do. And he's done a great job. Uh, he really has. I mean, the way he's so fresh. I mean, like, you know, all these – players and coaches they you know they, he played with them. I mean last week we had Jacksonville and Calvin Ridley in our production meeting. I mean Ridley broke in with Matt in Atlanta. So I think we're getting a really unique perspective and you know he hasn't said one thing to me about oh it's the Colts or nothing. I mean he's just he just wants to have a good broadcast and uh, he's a true pro and I've really enjoyed working with him. Yeah, the dude better be springing for the dinner on Saturday night. I'm going to tell you that right now. You make him pay? He's been very generous. I'll leave it at that. How's that? <laughs> hey, hey uh, are you? Uh, have you started doing college basketball games yet? No, they usually let me uh, start right after week 18 of the NFL season. So I'll dive into okay. that sometime in mid to late January. 
You uh, any any team out there? Doesn't necessarily. It's, this is not a, a question that's leaned toward Purdue, the number one team in the nation. But any team out there that you're you're kind of interested coming up after the football season and doing their games or watching them play and getting set for that NCAA tournament? Well, I hope Purdue fans don't remember who called their last game. Oh, last they do, dude. They do. <laughs> that was not good. Not pretty. Uh, against FDU. Uh, you know, I've only watched kind of on the periphery. I haven't yeah. really dived into the season yet. I'm a Syracuse grad, as you mentioned at the top of the show. I saw they beat LSU the other night, so that was nice to see. But I can't tell you that I've uh, I've sat and watched too many games just yet. I'll slowly start getting into it here in December and then certainly dive in in January. Well, you did um, Florida Atlantic games too, right, in Columbus? Yeah, Columbus was wild between Purdue yeah. and the Florida Atlantic. Memphis game was pretty crazy. Uh, that, yeah, it was. It was a, I'll never forget that week. Well, Dusty May is one of my good friends. We went to high school together in no Southern kidding. Indiana. Yeah, so yeah, he had, um, it was incredible. Here's the most incredible part. When I was watching them in the regional at Madison Square Garden, I was down at my mom's. My mom still lives where I grew up in Southern Indiana. I was down there two days prior, and there's this dude – out bush hogging the field and then fast forward he was sitting he was sitting behind florida atlantic's bench like two days later at madison square garden i said this can't be stinking real right here this cannot be real it was it's amazing from his standpoint but also from that team and to get that team to stay together in you know the world of nil and the poaching that goes on is even more amazing to me no doubt. He, I enjoyed meeting him last year, and I'll never forget because the, the Purdue game ended, and I'm like, wow, I mean, how, how on earth is a game going to top which is what we just saw? And then it was Florida Atlantic-Memphis, which was one of the best games of the tournament. I mean, I, yeah. the fact that, that FAU won that game was absolutely wild. So, yeah, they got a special thing going down there, and, uh, you know, I'll be rooting for him. He seems like he's one of the good guys in college basketball. Alongside of the CBS booth for the Colts and the Titans coming up on Sunday, along with Matt Ryan, the former Colts quarterback, and Tiki Barber, A.J. Ross on the sideline, Andrew Catalan of CBS on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you, and here's hoping if you have another Colts game here for CBS coming up, we'll get you back on again, okay? Yeah, I'd love to. Just don't play that under five feet uh, open again, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll come back anytime. <laughs> You got it, man. I appreciate you, Andrew. (laughs) All right. Take care. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies jamming out to something new and everything in between on the andy moore automotive group hotline right now from cbs4 and fox 59 where we have been uh, celebrating the retirement of one debbie knox who has been a longtime anchor not just there but also at wish tv channel 8 for decades and will uh, go down in history as one of the broadcasting legends here in the state of Indiana. Uh, Mike Chappell, colleague of Debbie Knox, joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. It is going to be weird to know that TV is going in this market and Debbie Knox is not talking about the news, Mike. I I tell you, I've been around as long as she has, and and I hope I get 
10% of the respect that she's gotten when I, when I finally get done doing this dumb stuff that I'm doing. But yeah, I, I see her occasionally at the, at the office and I always stop and say hi to her. And, and I just think it's when you've done it as long as she has at the level she has and some of the tributes she got was crazy, just crazy stuff from, from really, really important people, which sort of tells you the footprints that you've left and kudos to her. And I, again, I think she's done it so long at a high level and I wish her nothing but the best. So Mike Chappell, again, CBS four and Fox 59. All right. Must win. I talk about him all the time. I don't care if it's week one or whatever. Must wins. To me, this is another one coming up on Sunday against the Titans. And, you know, we've talked about Jonathan Taylor uh, going through surgery, missing two to three weeks. We shall see how that timetable plays out. Was it unanimous from what you've heard over there that surgery was the call here? Or might there have been some folks over there that thought, hey, is there any way you can wrap this thing up and play on Sunday? No, I think they were. I think they the ball security, you know, with, with your right hand, and, and the, the last thing you can do is say, "Well, I I think I can take care of this. I think I can secure the ball." And then you get out there, and you know, you find out you can't, and you put the ball on the ground. So no, I, I think this was the best approach. And and on top of that, you, it's really kind of crazy. You're you're losing your best offensive player for two to three weeks. You hope that's all it is. And oh, by the way, you're you've got now your your leading rusher that you can lean on. So that's I'm not saying that that played a role in it at all, but having Zach Moss really lessens the blow of losing a player like Taylor because Zach Moss has played really really well. It's really funny. I, I enjoy talking to Zach in the locker room, and he always kind of I think he he didn't get PO'd. But when people say, well, you know, now you get a chance to more of a role. Do you think you can handle this? And he basically says, you know, I was a three-year starter at Utah, and I barely ever came off the field. So he's done this before at a high level. He he did it the first month of the season when Taylor was out. I mean, he's still 10th in the league in rushing, missing the first game and then the diminished role. So, you know, it's not the same. He doesn't bring the home run aspect that, that Taylor does, although he had that long run against the Titans earlier. But he's just such a quality player and the kind of backup you wish you had at every position that you just you can't because you just the roster doesn't allow you to do it. Uh the the curious thing is gonna be how they they maximize Zach Moss without overworking Zach Moss in the short term. You know, Trey Sermon will be his backup, and we don't know much at all about Trey Sermon. So they just can't have Moss carrying 25 times a game, I don't think, even two to three games. It's not smart. So they're going to need to find a little bit of breathing room for him during a game, knowing how important the running game will be to this offense. So Mike Chappell, who's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group byline, and that worries me about that breathing room. I don't want to see that breathing room that you're talking about forced because we saw in the second quarter on Sunday when it was kind of forced upon Gardner Minshew, he, uh, he was scrambled a little bit. I mean, he was dancing around in a clean pocket, scrambled, and some plays could have been much bigger had the Buccaneers made them. And really, 
to me, the biggest thing that you have to look for from this football team to win on Sunday or really any game down the stretch is Gardner Minshew not turn it over. I, I don't, it, it's one thing for him to make a mistake himself. I, I don't want to see Shane Steichen put him in position like I thought he was doing in that second quarter there toward the end of the half uh, in positions to make those types of mistakes. Well, I, I, I don't think I'm wrong on this, but again, you're losing your best offensive player in Taylor, but, but I thought even with Taylor that this playoff push was going to come down to how does Minshew play? Uh, whether it's Zach Moss or Jonathan Taylor or the defense, it's going to be can, can the quarterback do his job at a high enough level to where he's not putting you behind the eight ball. You know, the, I'm not talking the four turnovers in back-to-back games like he did, but but it's 17-3 to and there's an interception, whether that was on Minshew, whether that was on Josh Downs running the wrong route, whatever, miscommunication, whatever. This team's simply not built – it's not strong enough to overcome, you know, two or three turnovers, especially in, in, in key spots. So whether it's Taylor or Moss, I've, I've always thought, and I even changed my thought, that this playoff run or or run that falls short, well, it's on the quarterback shoulders. It just is because he has to do enough. It's, it's so simple. He's got to do enough to, 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 to make those plays, but he can't. he just can't force things and he can't strip sacks and all that stuff. So it's really going to be on Gardner Minshew to, to finish strong, whatever strong means. Uh, I think the defense is going to play well enough. It's going to be really good to get Grover Stewart back next week. They've really missed him a ton. And I think the run game is going to be okay. We, you know, It's funny. I looked at that. Uh, Moss had the 165 yards against the Titans in whatever week it was, five when Taylor came back. That's the, that's the fourth highest rushing yardage in the league this year by Moss. So I, I think he will do fine. But when it comes time to make a net third and six, third and five, what if third and 12, does the quarterback, if he doesn't convert it, does he not, you know, make it worse with, with a bad throw or whatever. And th- th- this offense and this team will go as far or, or not far as Minshew takes it. To Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. This reminder coming up in a minute, if you're going to Nashville, if you have tickets right now, you're going to Nashville on Sunday, I'm going to give you a chance to win bullseye event group passes because bullseye also has a pregame party down in Nashville before all the Titans games. Kyle Kinnett giving me the thumbs up to give you a chance to win. Again, you need to be going to Nashville for the game on Sunday. But I'll give you a chance to win coming up in a couple of minutes. So listen up for that call, and we'll give you a chance to win if you're going down to Nashville on Sunday. Mike Chappell's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, I talked to uh, Zaire Franklin yesterday. How good in terms of individual play have we seen from him at linebacker this season? High-level, Pro Bowl-level. Hopefully he gets that due. And then hopefully in the offseason, they'll give him a contract extension that reflects him being, you know, a top-tier linebacker and not the the top-tier special teams player that he got with that contract. What was it three years, $10 million, I think it was. So, and, and this team's done a good job with that. Uh, but, yeah, he just played so well. And, he, and he's he's just such a calming force uh, in, in that locker room. He's a great spokesman. And we've had a lot of guys who talk a good game in the locker room, and then they're just sort of, yeah, 
during the game. He, he just makes plays. He, he just does. He, a lot of guys will have 12 tackles and you don't remember them. He has 13, 14, and you remember them. I mean, he, had the, he and Buck had that big stop on Derrick Henry uh, in the first meeting with, with, with the Titans. So it's really cool to see a guy, and we've had several guys come through here recently who, who really – found their they, they worked their way up they did special teams for a year or two and then they got their chance and then they ran with it zach moss is another is another example of it but zaire is just he, he's just he's gotten to be the I, I always describe Shaq leonard as like the heartbeat of the defense that's been replaced and now it, it's zaire for the last couple of years and gus bradley's defense and uh, he, he, he's not gotten a big hit he's approached things the right way and again, this is still a young guy. This, this, this guy's got a chance to be a, a defensive cornerstone for quite a while. So Mike Chappell's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I completely agree with you. The, I, I asked him this yesterday, and he would not go too in depth. We saw him in offensively for a play. Do you think there's more plays in the playbook for him? In that backfield for the Colts? Oh, maybe. And, and, and again, I think well, th- that that was really a cool situation. But but I mean, first he didn't block anybody. <laughs> you know, nobody can. Yeah. But 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 it's still, it, it's. It, I, I saw they had Shane Steichen mic'd up, and Colts dot com put out there, and it was Zaire, Zaire personnel, Zaire personnel. Uh, but that's cool. I, I think it was cool. Uh, it, it, it reminded me of days that they used to have. Was it Daryl Reed or somebody, a defensive lineman back there? Yeah. So th- there's a place for it, but you're not. We're not going to see. It's not a big, thick part of the playbook. Uh, sometimes when you do that one time, you know, next time they run that in that formation, Molly Cox is going to have somebody on him. So, uh, but th- that's it, it's it's time and a place, time and a place, and it was a perfect time for it. And I think that's one again where I, I maybe maybe Zaire gets another offensive snap this year, but maybe not. Is uh, the Juju Brent's injury recovery taking a lot longer than what you expected? Boy, any longer than they expected. I mean, it's like the Braden Smith thing, where you know it, 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 the length that they were out, they could have put him on IR. The, the issue is, I don't think they really need the roster spot. So it, it's it's strange, but it's not like, well, boy, we really could have used that roster spot for somebody. So it's not, from a roster-building standpoint, it's not, you know, a hindrance. But no, no question. I mean, this has been not not really a lost season for Juju Brands, but goodness, he had the hamstring early. And now this quad, it's, it's going to be a fifth game this week. And I, I, it'd be hard for me to see him playing next week in Cincy because – when he comes back to practice, he's going to need a few practices under his belt. So, yeah, it's really unfortunate. Uh, you know, again, that, that's one reason they didn't put JT on IR. Is they're hoping that it is just two to three weeks, is what Ursay said. But you don't know. Uh, and the fact they don't really need the roster spot, there's no reason to do that just in case he's back sooner, which didn't happen with Braden Smith. It didn't happen with Juju. So, it's unfortunate for him because he showed, you know, when he got going out there at three or four starts in a row that, that he was playing pretty well. And and this rookie year would have been huge experience and rep-wise. So hopefully he's back in a few weeks. But, I mean, Jelani Woods still being on uh, uh, IR with that, what was it, a hamstring? I mean, you, you sort of lose, I forget what the heck the injury is, but 
they've had a few of those this year that things have just, of course, I think he aggravated the hamstring. Not, not, I don't think he did. He aggravated the hamstring. But it's just unfortunate because it's obvious, you know, you want these guys back sooner or not later, but they're not going to push it. And it's just taking a longer run. And, and to, to do Juju Brents on IR now makes little sense because then it's four weeks. It's four more weeks. But, yeah, I think, I think both of those situations were a lot longer than what the team anticipated. Hey, Mike, is there any doubt that they're going to pay Michael Pittman Jr. at some point here? And, and we're – where in the stratosphere of the league's wide receivers do you think he's going to slot? Well, it's funny. I had a good talk with Pitt today for something I'm going to post in a little bit, and we finally got around to the end about the contract, and he's aware of it. I mean, he, he, this is a smart guy. He really is. And all he'll really say is, well, I'm not really thinking about it too much. Right now I'm a Colt, and we want to finish this thing and get in the playoffs and this, that, and the other. But he knows. I said, well, you know, I said, somebody's going to pay you. Either the Colts or somebody's going to pay you. And it really doesn't matter too much. You know, is, is is he top 10? Is he top 15 or whatever? When it gets to free agency, it really doesn't matter where where people view you. It, it's He's a young guy. He's got great size. He's going to have 100 and some catches this year and 1,200 yards. He's going to get paid whether the Colts give him a multi-year deal, whether you're franchising, which is going to be, I think, about $25 million, or he gets out there and somebody's going to he, – he, he'll probably get a better offer on the market than he will from the Colts just because that, that's what free agency does. So good for him. Uh, he, he's just su- such a good kid, and, and it's great to see him having the success he's having. But he's going to, he's going to get his. He is. And uh, which that that's what you want. That's what, when you're a young player, you want to you know if if you can't get from the Colts, you want to get that that first contract on the market. I mean, it almost seems like there's a ten or twenty percent you know raise if if you hit free agency. So he's going to get his. He's not preoccupied with it, but he, he knows because of the position he plays, the fact he's healthy and he's putting up numbers, he will get his money from somebody. Mike Chappell joins us talking Colts, Titans, and more. CBS 4 and Fox 59. Mike's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Listen, it is a a fatal flaw, I think, to look ahead with this Colts team because they're not that much better than the rest of their schedule that most of us believe is incredibly winnable and or soft. So that can be dangerous territory. But let's allow ourselves to do that just now. What, what, What do they have to do? I mean, what are some of the major things... You know, I say must win on Sunday. I'll probably say that until I'm blue in the face. But um, what do they have to do here down the stretch, you believe, to solidify a spot in the AFC postseason picture? Well, again, like you said, win, win the winnables. And the, the schedule's very con- – the schedule begs them to compete – not to compete, but to get a wild card spot. I, I mean, tennis – the strange thing about Tennessee is that they're really, really good at home and they're really awful on the road. Well, and the Colts have played their best ball on the road. That's interesting. But then you go to Cincy with, is it Jake Browning? I mean, who, who the hell is Jake yeah. Browning? Pittsburgh, I mean, they don't, I mean, they got a great defense. They, they don't scare you point wise. You know, to me, the best team they've got left to play is probably Houston. So it, it's, it's such a, a schedule that if you go out and play like you, like you have shown you can play without the turnovers. 
they're winnable. They just are. Uh, what's going to be interesting is how, how does a team respond to being uh, in this position and have people talking, you know, well about them that, hey, three games in a row and this, that, and the other. Sometimes it, it, it's better for teams, for players, to have everybody doubting you and trashing you, and then you got there and show them wrong. Now you've got things, you know, you, you've got the seventh spot in the playoffs right now. And with one of the easier schedules, you know, and, and the teams behind you, Buffalo's got an awful schedule. Cincinnati's lost their quarterback. So it, it, it's, it's there for them. But, yeah, they can't go out there and play half-ass and win. They're not good enough. A lot of teams in the league aren't good enough. I'd rather have this schedule of remaining games than, than a lot of other teams. So it's there for them, but they've got to go out there and take care of it. Yeah, I um are you all how much surprise is there in their situation right now? I, I had them below the Vegas odds, the lower well, of six and, and, and a half wins. Yeah, yeah, it was six and a half to start the season. And and I thought even if they had Anthony Richardson the entirety of the season and clearly they did not. So, you know, even with this schedule, this is surpassing where I thought they were gonna be. How surprised about their situation are you as we enter the month of December, them primed right now in a wild card spot in the seventh position in the AFC? Very much so. And I think that's really uh, a reflection of the job Steichen's done. You know, he probably won't be coach of the year, but he, he, he's done a really – he's done more with less, I think, than a lot of coaches have. And it's helped the fact that other teams have lost their, their quarterbacks, and, and Buffalo has, has put themselves in a really bad spot. Uh, but, but, again, yes, yeah, so I, I thought they'd be playing meaningful games in December, but the meaningful games would have been getting Richardson playing time and experience. I, I thought maybe – I can't remember what I – back in September, but, you know, seven wins maybe. You know, I, I remember thinking that they might have a better chance to win more games with Minshew just because of the experience factor. And I changed my mind on that real quick. Richardson is the real deal. And they'd be so much further along record-wise, I think, had he not gotten the, the shoulder injury because he, he was that much of a difference maker. But, yeah, I think it's kind of cool. And, you know, every win you, you get it, yes, it hurts your draft positioning, but we're, we're beyond that. Once you're, once you're out of the top five or six, it doesn't matter. You know, so, so I think it would be such a great story for Steichen to sort of come in and with his staff and, you know, they always talk about cultures and, and, and all this stuff, but to sort of cement the way that he's doing things and, you know, n- nothing is better than getting positive reinforcement when you're doing this. It's hard to get a culture ingrained when you're getting your head beat in every game. So I, I think it's huge. I'm surprised. Yes, I am. Uh, and again, to think about that, Go back and look at Cleveland and New Orleans. I mean, my goodness, where would you be if those games didn't get away from you? But the, things even out, you know, if you play Baltimore ten times, how many times did you beat Baltimore? I don't know. But it, it, you play the schedule you've got, and if other teams are dealing with, with quarterbacks out or whatever, you know, too bad. This team's also got a lot of issues, including their quarterbacks out. So I, I think it's pretty cool. I, I'd love to see it. You know, it'd be kind of nice to go into that last week against Houston, not having to win to get in, because I think they're playing pretty well right now. I think Stroud is the real deal, but I, I think this is a great story, and hopefully they can finish it. 
All right, there's a lot of interesting things television-wise this weekend. One could be taking place at Lucas Oil Stadium if Michigan ends up winning and uh, Big Ten Commissioner has to hand the trophy over to Jim Harbaugh. I think that's going to be interesting TV. How interesting do you think Sunday's going to be? I got Andrew Catalan on coming up here after you, and he's going to be the play-by-play man in the booth along with – the quarterback a year ago or so for the Colts, Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan. Is, does that does that make for interesting television for you on any level? Oh, not the announcers too much. He's not gonna. Uh, uh, he he was available to a lot of people today. Ryan was, and our yeah. our guy our guys had him, you know, as well. Which they'll feature that on their uh, on our Blue Zone on Sunday. He he's he first he's too much of a of a class act to to, to get in depth on all the crap he had to walk through last year in the bad situation but i, I think he's going to be a, he's going to be a really really good analyst but i i can't think of too many games that i tune into because of the announcer there's some that i stay away from <laughs> i used to stay away from because of the announcers but uh i get i think it's kind of great for matt ryan to have this opportunity because it, he was one of the all-time great characters that we had in the locker room uh, i mean that positively uh, yeah. Last year, because he had to go through a lot of a lot of bad stuff that wasn't that wasn't of his doing, uh, and I thought he handled it about as classy as you could. When they brought him in, I had him on, and he told me he thought he had at least four years left as a higher grade starting quarterback in the NFL before last yeah, year. Yeah, that, that didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it, 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 it was just wrong on. It did, and what you know, what we thought people would remember is he, everyone was sort of all not all in, but was in favor of that move. When, when it became yeah. apparent that he was available, it wasn't like you know I don't know. They they were they, 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 there can be revisionist history if they want, but it, it was pretty unified that he he was the right guy at the right time, and it was one of those that just didn't work out. Too bad. Uh, it couldn't be. It couldn't have been like what they got out of Philip Rivers, which was still an amazing season. Amazing season for him. But you know, it, it, it was just part of the circus of, of 2022 that will, will remain one of the all-time strange seasons that I've been through. You know, what's funny about it in closing here, Mike, and I'll let you go. Is that um, you, you look at the quarterback situation and everybody believing in Matt Ryan. Um, once he was brought in here and then obviously seeing that he was well past it. It's almost similar to, to like IU hiring Kurt Signetti. And I get, I get either a great deal of negativity or, hey, this guy is a grand slam. And the negativity comes from the fact that nobody has been right um, in decades now and just where right. the program is right now. And the positivity comes from, hey, this has to be a grand slam because nobody else has been right and this program has been in the toilet for decades now. So there's really no in-between ground on that. It's kind of like when Matt Ryan was brought in here, it's got to be better than Carson Wentz. It's got to be better than how the season ended. And I guess you kind of got to be careful what you wish for on all accounts. Yeah, but the only thing different in this now is I saw enough of Anthony Richardson to know that this guy's the real deal. I mean, can you imagine being in Carolina with Bryce Young and you have no clue, zero, what you've got moving forward? And there's even, you know, there's even question in Chicago with Justin Fields. But but you, what, what we saw in, what was it, four games, 
with Richardson, he, 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 he's the right guy. He will be the right guy. And, uh, you know, yeah, the injuries, whatever. But uh, at least with, with this one, it, it looks like they finally got it right. And to, to have a guy you can build the offense around. Remember, he, he and Jonathan Taylor played one play together. One. So I think the future is really, really bright. When, when you've got the quarterback in place, holy smokes. Uh, again, we talk. I'd rather have the quarterback in place than the head coach. I, I just would. But when you get the quarterback, all things are possible. Well, I said this, and in closing here, Mike, I said this regarding IU football. I think it's more important. It's going to be more important to have, you know, a, a high dollar, you know, put away for NIL than it is, you know, having a high dollar head coach for a lot of programs. And I think IU would be one of those. But uh, anyway, that's for it's a later amazing. Day. So yeah, it, the NIL it, it, is it, amazing now, and. It, it, yeah. it the, the genie's out of the bottle, and it's going to be how much? What, what Matt Rule said that it, the starting price yeah. for a top quarterback is like was it one point five million? One one or two million dollars. So yeah, right there in the middle. You're right. Student student athletes, yes sir. Okay. <laughs> All right, buddy. I appreciate you as always. You're doing the game Sunday. Talk to you next week. See you later. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline, we're just constantly moving with everything going on. The Pacers on the road. The first, actually three, three days in Miami, which is not bad for those as a part of Pacers television. But uh, we'll see if it's good beginning tonight and then on Saturday night for the Pacers on the road in Miami. And from Pacers TV, Jeremiah Johnson's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. What is the weather like in South Florida this afternoon? Uh, well, let's just say you cut my pool time short by about 30 minutes. So uh, that tells how much you mean to me. Uh, the weather is yes. nice. I would say mid to high 70s. Uh, not not a complaint in the world right now. Were you out there with your uh, Peru-based grape smugglers and pressing everybody down there on South Beach this afternoon, were you? <laughs> hey, you haven't mm-hmm. seen those in a while. We haven't been able to play basketball in a while. But, uh, no, I was, <laughs> I was just uh, – I was just on a chair with an umbrella trying to not get too much sun and trying to relax before getting ready for what should be, I think, a highly entertaining competitive game tonight. No, well, it better be because last time I watched the Pacers, it was awful. And, you know, I I kind of – I ripped them pretty good. I ripped them pretty good on Monday – or check that Tuesday because I I thought that was just a deflated team at the beginning that really didn't get any better and losing at home – to a four-win team. They've left a trail of wins you should have at home, unfortunately, on the board here so far in terms of losses. What um, what was the issue that you saw against the Blazers that led to just such an awful performance all the way around? Yeah, Charlotte, Chicago, Portland. So you at least think that you should have won two of those games, and you'd feel so much different about this team right now if you were 11-5 and five compared to 9-7. and seven. It was really one of the first times all season that I felt like somebody was able to slow down the Pacers offensively. And Kyrie Taliburton's been great in every single game for the most part. 
but he didn't have anyone to really help him. It's so rare to look at a box score and see the team's second-leading scorer only have 11 points, and turnovers have been a strength of this team this season, taking care of the basketball, and they had 20 turnovers, leading to 20 points off of turnovers for the Trailblazers. And Portland, especially the way that game started, I mean, I wasn't impressed by them, even though they do have some guys that you have to be aware of. But in the fourth quarter, Jeremy Grant kind of took over. And so it was a combination of the offense not quite clicking as well as as they have at most times this season, and then Jeremy Grant catching fire. And that's been a little bit of a theme of seeing star players or at least elite scorers on the opposition catching fire and then – it, it sometimes seems like no matter what they try to do, those guys get in the rhythm and get in the zone, and they don't miss. Yeah, and it's not like that the Pacers provide often too much resistance to anybody. that might either has it going or doesn't have it going, if you know what I mean defensively. Yeah, they've a few times been forced to trap and double-team and get the ball out of those guys' hands, but if the supporting cast is any good at all, that's not – something you want to have to rely on or you don't want to have to do for long stretches of the game. And it did allow them to make a little bit of a run there in the final couple minutes. But uh, they definitely have to figure something out with some of these long uh, athletic wings, some of these high-scoring players that the Pacers have seen already and will see moving forward. And and Bruce Brown's the guy that they they signed to maybe guard those types of players. But that's still a big ask for him considering his height and what he's probably – best suited to be a backcourt defender and to have to guard some of those wings. Maybe Aaron Neesmith might be your best player for that, and he had been injured a little bit leading into the Portland game. So uh, they're still working on it. I think the one thing you've got to say is there have been some some really good moments, but there have also been some moments that are a little bit eye-opening. And so 16 games in, far from a finished product, they have a lot to work on still when, when they have chances to practice. JJ, fresh off the beach or poolside down in Miami. You got uh, back-to-back in Miami coming up tonight and then on Saturday evening against the Heat. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. It's funny. You mentioned uh, Bruce Brown, and while I agree with you on Neesmith, Neesmith's legit. He can play D. He's probably the only one that I would trust being able to play D. I I have been very uninspired with Bruce Brown's defensive efforts so far. He didn't look any different than anybody else that can't play defense on this team to me. Am I wrong? (laughs) Well, I, I think that with what he played defense and what his role was in Denver, it's a different role that he has with the Pacers. And so he's probably best suited to be a guy that can show some versatility, maybe not guard the best player on the opposition, but maybe the second or the third best player, um, at least in terms of the scorer. And and so that's where you're asking maybe more than you'd ask from him. On a championship team, he was a six-man or a guy that came off the bench and sometimes finished games but wasn't always on the court at the start and finish of games. And so he really excelled in that role. You're asking him to, to pick it up a notch, something I think he's capable of, but maybe hasn't been as flashy or, or consistent with that area this season. So um, they're just going to have to figure out. And I think you're right. Aaron Neesmith went healthy and you need a stop. He might be the guy, especially with some of those wings that you want on the court. But we did see a lineup against Detroit on Friday where you saw Nemhard, Matherin, Neesmith all on the court at the same time. And that group was able to do some things. So I, I, there are some combinations and some groups out there that can defend better than, than we've seen at times this season. But you also didn't have Tyrese Halliburton on the court for that stretch. You need his offense. So they've just got to kind of figure out the best way to play where they can play their elite offense. And I think middle of the pack defensively, they're not middle of the pack right now. Obviously, everybody knows that. But if they can get to that area, that's sort of the recipe for this team. It's uh, Jeremiah Johnson to Pacers TV. He's with us. I 
I was very disappointed in Miles, too, considering he's playing against the guy that the guys that extended him thought at least during a moment's worth of time that he was going to be the guy for them as a big um, in DeAndre Ayton. And, and what we got from Miles on Monday to me was incredibly disappointing, very uninspiring, really. A lot of guys kind of gave me that portrayal, and I didn't really expect it from Miles. I thought Miles would have a little bit more juice, but he just simply didn't. Yeah, I'd say for the most part this season, he's been pretty consistent, and that wasn't one of his better games, and I would agree with you. You would expect a little more. You would hope with DeAndre Ayton coming in, you would be just a little more fired up. I think that was just a, a general feeling up and down the roster, yeah. really, with the exception of Tyrese Halliburton. And you'll accept that or maybe allow that if you hadn't already had the games that I mentioned against Charlotte and Chicago, but they were pretty aware. Rick yeah. Carlisle told me before the game, we've got to give these guys the proper amount of respect. I heard an early huddle where Tyrese Halliburton was really getting after everyone because they did not want to let that game slip away. And he was pretty vocal and honest uh, in the press conference after the game. So that's one you can't get back, but you'll have to try to make up for it by beating a team that you should. And maybe you come down here and you win two in Miami, and that can sort of make up for that. This team has done a good job of bouncing back from losses. They've not been able to have these long win streaks, but they have responded 5-0 uh, and oh when, when coming back from a loss. So that would be – a situation where you hope they're able to uh, respond tonight in Miami and, and bring the proper amount of intensity from the opening tip. Yeah, if they're able to do that, I'll fall back in love with them again. But I, <laughs> I, fell out of, I fell out of love with them after that Portland game. I was really disappointed. I mean, just really across the board, incredibly disappointed. Is, is there anything at all between Rick Carlisle and Benedict Matherin or is this just Carlisle coaching him hard, as Matherin has suggested he wants to be coached? Where are we with that? No, I don't think there's anything uh, that you need to overreact to. I do, you know, everyone saw him get upset about, a, you know, whether it was a missed defensive assignment. And, and as you said, coach him hard. And what we saw with the starting lineup change last week was something that Rick Carlisle said of doing what puts our team in the best position to win. So he has to get after these guys. He has to coach them the way that he thinks he needs to coach them. And for a young player, you've got to call out situations when assignments are missed or they're trying to be specific with their attention to detail on what they're doing on the defensive end of the floor. And I haven't seen Benedict Mathern get upset about that coaching. There are times no player likes to be taken out of the game when they don't think their regular rotation minutes have come to an end. Maybe something to, to keep an eye on, but at this point, Everything I've heard from Benedict Matherin is the same thing you have said, is the same thing that Rick Carlisle said, is that he wants to be coached. He wants to be considered one of the better defensive players in the league. He said that last year. And so I think he understands he's not there now. And to get there, there are some things he has to improve on. And if it's hard coaching, if it's getting after it a little bit, if it's a little bit of yelling, maybe it's uncomfortable at times. But you understand there's a bigger picture in mind and there's a goal that is down the road to get to where you don't make those mistakes. So it's way, way too early in his career to worry about something like that and to think, oh, no, he's not happy and that sort of thing. When you're in your second year in the league, Benedict Matherin is like a lot of these guys. He has high goals, grand aspirations for himself and also for the team that he plays on. And he knows when he doesn't perform, there are going to be some consequences. And that was just a situation that was maybe amplified a little bit just because the cameras happened to catch it at, at that particular moment. 
So, uh, Jeremiah Johnson of Pacers TV joins us. Jalen Smith didn't make the trip down there, injured. Um, Isaiah Jackson, a no-go tonight or maybe a no-go tonight. I, I know that Daniel Tice wanted more playing time and thus wanted someplace else to get that clock, to find that clock. I, I hated that, though, because I thought you were going to have more than a handful of times when his presence was going to be entirely necessary and, J.J., we've seen it twice already this season. And I'm not going to lie to you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it either tonight or coming up on Saturday, too. Yeah, it's one of those situations where the best thing maybe for the team would have been to, to have him stay there and be ready when someone got hurt. But you also take where he's at in his career. And you have to understand that last year, while he was injured for a lot of the time, when he came back, didn't get to play toward the end of that season. And he's ready to go and he's healthy. And so he wanted that consistent opportunity. And you didn't want to start this season taking opportunity away from a guy like Jalen Smith as well as he was playing. And really, Isaiah Jackson, when given the opportunity, he also has shown uh, he can contribute. So I understand completely it would be nice to go into tonight's matchup having not had that you know, roster move happen. But you, you also have to do right by the player. And so I don't, know, I don't know specifically the exact conversations that happened with Daniel and with the team. If you don't, you don't have Jalen for sure, at this point Isaiah Jackson is questionable. Uh, it would be great to have Daniel Tice. That being said, those extra two-way spots, you get a guy that you hope can perform if called upon. And I am fascinated to see if Oscar Shibway gets an opportunity to see how he plays. Because everyone in, that's listening probably right now saw what he could do at the college level. In five or six G League games, he leads the G League in rebounding. He's a hard, hard worker, an extremely intense player. If he gets called upon tonight, I'm fascinated to watch. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. And, and this is what happens in the NBA. You get an opportunity, you've got to see if you can take advantage of it. So you know what Daniel Tice can do, but you're happy for him to get the consistent run in Los Angeles. But I don't think that there's any way you could argue with your point and saying it would be nice tonight if you still had him. Oh. Yeah, I want it all, man. And I, you just know, <laughs> it's like I follow these two teams here, J.J., and ultimately, they're going to have injuries and need everything. They're going to need all hands on deck. That's just been the history, certainly the recent history around here, and that's why I brought that up. You have sold me, certainly tonight, on an appearance by Sheboy. So I'm, I'm hoping to see that. Hey, I got a run here. Jimmy Butler didn't play, was it last night or the night before? The night before last, I guess it was, right? Jimmy Butler going to play tonight, do we know? Yeah, he, he's missed the last two games and right ankle sprain. I think with Jimmy Butler, I'm not even sure the Heat coaches and staff necessarily know when he's going to play or when he's not, especially in an injury situation. So he's still listed as questionable. They did say that Bam Adebayo is available. He was probable. Duncan Robinson was probable. He and Haywood Highsmith are playing. So they made a report today saying those guys – that were on the injury report are available, but they've not updated Jimmy Butler's situation. So, yeah, if you go by questionable, I'd say it's 50-50 right now whether he plays tonight. I would be okay not to have to watch the Jimmy Butler <laughs> parade to the free throw line. You know, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I, I am right there along with you. It's a, it's a little <laughs> bit like Joel Embiid at times in terms of some, oh. of, the, some of those calls. <laughs> oh, I'll be cussing. I'll be cussing on Twitter later on tonight. So. <laughs> Be advised. <laughs> hey, buddy, okay, I'll, go ahead. I'll be get watching. Back. Uh, send, your, send your disagreements or displeasure hey, if those calls happen hey, to my text. I know you're going to spend the weekend basically down in Miami. Don't let Denary take you guys to the strip club tonight or tomorrow night, okay? 
No, I mean, don't be led astray. Nobody really knows. If you've ever seen the movie Bad Influence with Rob Lowe and James Spader, that's Daenerys. He's like the Rob Lowe character. Don't be, don't get in on the bad influence of Daenerys, okay? No, he's riding high because I think Wabash beat DePaul in a basketball game last night. So Uh, hopefully he doesn't (laughs) celebrate too much tonight after that one. (laughs) Don't let him take you to those strip clubs later on. Just go back to the hotel and go sleep, man. Do that. Get that rest. Need that bed rest. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I did want to get everybody updated right now because there's a new head football coach down in Bloomington and all over the story, as he normally is for the Indianapolis Star, Zach Osterman, he joins us right now. You mentioned earlier this week, and I think you've been on uh, every variety of show in our building this week, and that's a smart move by us, making sure we're in the know. But where was Kurt Signetti as far as a leader or at the early stage of somebody you thought as an end result would be the hire? Yeah, to be honest, kind of early on, I mean, and I'm ta- obviously this is all happening pretty fast. I mean, the, the search, you know, formally began Sunday morning, though, of course, you'd imagine Scott Dolson had probably been, probably been laying the groundwork for at least a few days. Um, early on, there wasn't a ton of traction around Signetti, and, and that was probably, as much as anything, the fault of people like me, sort of assuming that if he left James Madison, he would stay out east somewhere. Um, and, it, you know, I mean, if you look at kind of his, his coaching tenure, he's from – Pittsburgh. He's coached at Indiana, Pennsylvania, but then his last couple stops have been, you know, a lot more sort of, I guess, Eastern seaboard, if you kind of want to say that. Elon's in the Carolinas. James Madison is obviously in Virginia, not necessarily coastal Virginia, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, And you also knew Syracuse, Duke, you know, there were going to be some of those jobs coming open. But the profile fit, and I think probably sometime Monday, certainly, you know, kind of mid-afternoon Tuesday was when it seemed like his name really started to gain some traction. And I think that was right around the same time that Indiana basically got together and pared its list down for the, the candidates who would get final in-person, you know, in-depth sort of interviews. So I think that it's probably fair to say that, that you know, and, and it'll be interesting maybe to, to find out potentially if, you know, Signetti was always on Dolson's list, if maybe the, the search firm helped kind of clarify some things for him. It can always be a little bit of both of those things. Um, but I think it's fair to say that by the time it was, it felt like the search was really getting to its business end, um, Signetti was very much a, a priority candidate. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, and, and Zach Osterman joins us at the Star, and Kurt Signetti is the uh, new head coach of the IU football program. We'll get to the, the formal announcements and I'm sure press conferences and such in just a minute with Zach, but you mentioned, you know, the search firm and you mentioned East Coast schools like Syracuse and Duke that would have openings that may have some interest. Do you think that 
conference affiliation at all? And I guess this is a question for the press conference. I'm sure won't get answered. But behind the scenes, would you like to know whether or not conference affiliation had something to do with this? Because, you know, you can say all you want about IU's football program, but they do have a seat at the major table right now where, you know, who knows, you know, where others are going to go. You think that played any role as far as that final decision is concerned? I think it's very possible. I think, you know, in maybe in terms of, of wondering if, you know, could a coach, could Indiana have hired a coach with this profile, I don't know, you know, 10 years ago, something like that, when maybe there was a little bit more parity among the conferences when Indiana was a little bit less moneyed compared to, let's say, some yeah. ACC schools, some Big 12 schools, things like that. Although the Big Ten has always kept Indiana pretty rich over the last 15 years. Um, I do think that while you're right, I mean, Indiana, I don't, I don't think anybody would dispute, I don't think even anybody at Indiana would necessarily dispute that, you know, IU football has, has struggled to kind of find that, that, that traction, that ground to stand on, obviously, historically. I don't think there's any question at the same time that, you know, even some of the more challenging Big Ten jobs are still going to be um, – very appealing kind of in the, you know, let's say the, the, the immediate sort of to medium term future, because there's going to be the money, there's going to be the resources, there's going to be the commitment to NIL. And there's just going to be, I think, to some extent, frankly, a, a level of stability and security that the big 10 can offer you that not just in terms of maybe your school getting marooned, so to speak, but Hey, listen, let's, let's live in a world. And, and I'm not trying to get, completely out, you know, out over my skis. But let's live in a world where Kurt Signetti can build a 10-win season at Indiana, you know, in the next, I don't know, five years. A 10-win season in the Big Ten is, is a lot more likely to get you close to the playoff once it expands to 12 than a 10-win season, let's just be fair, in the ACC or, for the, for the moment anyway, what we think of the future of the Big 12. And so I think there's just there's more, there's more money, there's more security, there's more protection, and there's probably more ambition in the Big Ten, even in a job that historically has struggled a little bit. Well, and let's also be honest about it, too. A 10-win football season in Bloomington would probably, whoever's the head coach, would uh, be voted in as governor of the state for about the next 20 years. So, right? I mean, that's <laughs> what that would happen for sure. It has never won 10 games. So, uh, <laughs> it, it, it would quite literally be history in Indiana. Yeah, it's uh, Zach Osterman of the Star who is uh, with us. I'm going to ask you this. Uh, the level of importance, I was talking to a booster, and it's kind of been a point that I've been making uh, for the early parts of this coaching search this week. And, you know, the booster had told me we are moving toward a point in time to when it is going to be much more valuable and valued to make sure that you have a strong amount of money uh, competitive amount of money in NIL than it is how much you end up paying your head coach. Now, granted, you know, with Ohio State and Michigan, you're going to get both right now. But to try to get competitive, um, he told me that's what is going to be most important for a program like IU. I I'm curious, what type of salary would you expect he is going to get paid and then are they going to take NIL as seriously as Tom Allen felt evidently they did not in that statement that he let out um, once he was fired? 
So the first, the answer to the first is I'm I'm still trying to run down the uh, the contract terms and and I I don't have them confirmed yet. I, I do think a a pretty reasonable sort of starting point or at least sort of starting assumption. The, the seventh and eighth highest paid coaches in the Big Ten are Brett Bielema at six point five million. At least this was last year's number. Everybody gets you know built in little raises, but Brett Bielema at six point five million and PJ Fleck at about six. I'm guessing that's probably a starting point. That's a substantial raise on where Tom Allen was. He was about making about four seven, four eight, I think. Um, I, 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 I don't remember quite where he was just in the because he was one of those that would get like a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollar raise every year. Um, but that was kind of just you know approaching five million dollars is where Allen was. I'm guessing Indiana um, probably put Signetti on a higher price point than that. Probably cl- something close to that sort of median value in the Big Ten again six to six and a half. Um, but I think the other thing is I'm guessing Indiana probably expanded its its salary pool for assistant coaching hires. Um, my understanding was that, and I think this has been reported by the Athletic as well, that James Madison actually put a contract on the table to him, a, a, an improved contract just in the last few days. So there was, I'm, I'm guessing they weren't offering as much as Indiana, but there was a, there were competing sort of opportunities for him, if you understand what I'm saying. So I'm guessing Indiana had to be pretty competitive with that number in the end. As for NIL, um, I think Indiana has actually come a long way probably in the last 12, 18, maybe 24 months in that regard. Um, right. you know, the, the partner collectives, Hoosiers for Good and Hoosiers Connect, have been really active in the, on that front. They're expected to have, like right now today, at least $3 million that they can support Signetti with. Um, that number might wind up higher already. We've seen Hoosiers Connect announce kind of a fundraising drive around Signetti's hiring. You would expect, and I've talked to some people who are familiar with this stuff, just the fan energy around a new hire is going to lead to some some extra NIL and things like that. And I do think in the Indiana has a, a sort of long-term aim of being even more robust. I've had these conversations, I don't know, over the last like several months of just like, does anybody have an idea of what a competitive NIL number is? And it seems like it's sort of settled for, for a program that would have Indiana's immediate ambition be competitive in a tough conference, you know, get to some bowl games, retain your good players, that kind of thing. Seems like three to four million is a good aim. I think, you know, obviously if you're the Ohio State, the Alabama, the number is probably significantly higher. But I think three to four million is a good place for Indiana to start. And I think, yeah, as with anything, you know, you never want to stop. You never want to say, okay, that's enough. We're done now. I think Indiana is going to keep pushing. And then obviously at some point this may all get replaced or at least sort of sidecarded by revenue sharing as well. Yeah, well, it's funny too because from what I was told from this particular booster, and this is not a hard and fast number at all, but he just gave me a comparison of, for example, for Ohio State, you know, for a, a $10 million surplus they have, uh, you would have about two. Uh, thus, and, and this is not the number. This is just how he wanted me to compare it in my little tiny brain right there, monetarily speaking. And, you know, and then you saw Matt Rule had mentioned in Nebraska, their head coach, Zach, that it's going to take one to two million dollars in NIL money to get a good quarterback. A, to you, is that accurate? And B, how much do you think Brendan Soresby would be worth? Yeah, I, I suspect that number might be a little exaggerated. Um, I think, listen, I, I do think there are million-dollar quarterbacks out there. I don't think every program that wants to compete at a certain level is, is going to be reaching for a million-dollar coordinator. Or, excuse me, not coordinator, uh, quarterback, forgive me. 
Um, that said, I think you can expect your quarterback to be one of the highest paid, highest compensated, most NIL robust, whatever term you want to use players on any team. Um, you know, I don't have a great sense for kind of everything that sets that market in terms of, you know, numbers, age, um, all that kind of stuff. I would be surprised if someone like Brendan Sorsby didn't have at least some interest. Um, you know, the flip side is, you know, I mean, we've seen like Max Johnson go into the portal. Obviously we've seen guys who have been two and three year starters in different places go in the portal. Sorsby's probably still down that pecking order a little bit as much as anything, just because of experience. He's got about a half season's worth of starting experience in the big 10. He looked good. It wasn't like anyone looked at him and said, you know, my God, this guy's dynamic, but you can see the ceiling. You can see the potential. So uh, I'm sure that, you know, if he stays, Indiana's going to have to commit some, some decent resources there. If he goes, Indiana's going to have to commit at least as much if it wants to find another quarterback in the portal to compete with Taven Jackson and Brock, Brock Lowry. So so um, how many of these guys – I love Donovan McCulley. I do. Um, and I would love to see them bring him back. I, I guess what's the opportunity to do that there? And how many of these guys that are now in the transfer portal would you expect the new head coach and Kurt Signetti to be able to retain? Again, I think some of that's going to come down to the NIL number. And it's, and it's also, listen, there's an extent I, I said this on one of our podcasts the other day. Whatever anybody thinks of Tom Allen – um, one thing you, you really couldn't doubt was his players' investment in him. I, I think it was it was very clear that those relationships were very real, that he clearly meant a lot to his players, and his in, you know his investment in them as people built some some very sort of strong bonds with them. It wouldn't surprise me if a few of these guys just say, "Hey, listen, for better or worse, you know what convinced me to be here was Tom Allen," um, and, and that's no offense to anyone else at the program, but what what you know, what brought me to Bloomington is, is kind of no longer here. And maybe there's a little bit more of that than the average in a coaching in a, in a coaching change. But I do think that, again, competitive NIL resources are, are going to, you know, cure a lot of concerns <laughs> in, in uh, retaining guys you might want to retain. The other question will simply be, you know, yeah. what is – or Signetti think of some of these guys. There's going to be some of these players that Signetti probably says, yeah, I, I you know, it, it just doesn't fit what I'm trying to do. Um, but I think that, that, you know, Indiana, I suspect, is going to have a chance to sit with a lot of these guys. And is it seems like it's going to have the resources and the opportunities to make a, a competitive pitch to a number of them in terms of keeping them around. Hey, Zach, really quick here. IU starts the Big Ten campaign tomorrow at home against Maryland. That's at 7 o'clock. Um, what, what's the uh, status on Xavier Johnson? It sounds – I mean, Mike Wilson basically said it's kind of up in the air. Um, you know, and, and I think I think we saw from the New York trip that it's, it's one of those things that Johnson can play through. I think it's you know, pretty clear he wasn't 100% in New York, but it is yeah. something that – Sort of the proverbial, if the Final Four were tomorrow, would he be playing? Yeah, probably. Um, but in the same breath, you know, I think if you're Indiana, you're going to want him for a Big Ten game. You're going to want him. I, I'm guessing he would want to play Maryland. He's from out out in that uh, part of the um, part of the country. He's from sort of suburban D.C. Um, but in the same breath, you know, you need Xavier Johnson a lot more on February 1st than you do December 1st. So if it's a real risk. Um, in terms of playing him, I suspect Indiana would hold him back. It, it does sound very much kind of 
you know, let's say 50-50 or questionable or whatever sort of injury term you want to use. Kurt Signetti is the new head coach of the IU football program. Zach Osterman of the Stars been on top of it. Hey, man, I know you're busy as hell. I appreciate you dropping on here on short notice to get us updated on everything. And uh, we'll catch you a little bit further down the road, man. Thanks, Zach. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. All right. Cue the band back in the studio, James. Here's our Week 13 Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots. I don't trust Geno Smith as far as I can throw him. And with my bad back, I couldn't throw anybody right now. Um, seriously, that's such a huge number, though. This has backdoor cover written all over it. But I am, per usual, way too big of a wuss. So I'm going to take the easy route. I'm going to go easy. I'm going to go ahead and take the Cowboys and lay the nine. Mark the tape. I'm going to get my ass whipped on this. Brent Halverson, what do you got? You know, that is a big number, but I don't think so. I mean, the way that Dallas Cowboys are playing at home, Dak Prescott, who is sitting at the number two rated quarterback right now, he's having an outstanding year. CeeDee Lamb having a great year. They play different at home. Granted, they're 8-3 and three overall, 5-0 and oh at home. I think this number, this number right here is probably spot on. I think Dallas wins the game by 10. I think they're up 17. I think you start getting near that backdoor cover towards the end. Cowboys win at 30-20. to 20, means they cover the 9. I'll take Dallas. What do you got, Nick Baxter? I will, I'll go with the Cowboys. Follow you guys along. Take the easy one. I, I swear to you, it was uh, Fox. Where's um, Craig Carton? Not in jail. No, where's uh, Craig Carton on Fox? I think he said that Dak Prescott is having a baby, I guess, right? And uh, that um, that's going to be a big distraction. Well, See, we're, we're all... We're all without anything to talk about in sports radio, I think, when we end up going there, don't we? Yeah, like right. that. When you start involving the family... I think we all have just completely run out of things <laughs> to try to be pissed off about at this point. Larsley Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots, week number 13. The Chargers and the Patriots. Man, the Patriots stink, but the Chargers stink in a different way. They stink because they have a lot of talent at all the prime positions, and they can't do a damn thing right. So I'm going to take the six and a half and give me the hapless Patriots in Foxborough. Brent Halverson. Yeah, this is an ugly one, John, but uh, I think you're right. I mean, again, this is one of those games that yeah. uh, you got Well, you got that uh, West Coast traveling to East Coast, start the games off, 1 o'clock. It's going to be a big game. Yeah, the Chargers probably stopped caring a little they, bit. They too. stopped caring. I mean, they just, they're not doing much at all. They're 4 and 7, but you got the, the Patriots at 2 and two and 9. And, uh, you know, I think they're, they're, there's some different things going on there. I think it's a close game. I think Chargers probably win the game. They win the game by 3. I think Patriots cover. I'll take the uh, plus the points. Baxter. I'll go Chargers. What the hell? I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't pick the Patriots. So uh, just on that reason alone, the Patriots are sorry. So we'll. Uh, I'll go against you guys on that one. Let us see the Lions wake up a little bit here, huh? They're four-point favorites on the road against the Saints. I don't trust the Saints. I'll lay the four and take the Lions. But as of late, we've been a little bit disappointed. 
Have we not? Really have. You know, we've talked about them doing their recovering yeah. machine, but uh, they have dropped down a little bit. Again, that was a big, big surprise seeing Green Bay come out and spank the Lions like they did on Thanksgiving. I tell you, it was a great way to start the holiday off, though. And I tell you, I, I, I think Detroit might win this game. I think it's going to be closer yep. than a field goal, though. So I'm going to take the Saints here at home. The home dog is live, plus four. Nick Baxter is the owner of the dugout. Nick? I'll go Saints. Home dog. Falcons, Jets, Falcons, three-point favorites. You know, all of a sudden, Atlanta's kind of sneaking up on everybody, which can be a product of their division, much like we see in the Colts and their schedule. But they are sneaking up on some folks right now. Three-point favorites on the road at the Jets. Oh, man, your guy, your former guy, Aaron Rodgers, he's back, cleared to practice right now, coming back from that Achilles injury like he's Steve Austin from the Bionic Man. They have the technology. They can rebuild them, and they have right now. Uh, I'm going to lay the three. Give me the Falcons on the road against the Jets. The Jets just a bad football team, right? They're a really bad football team, yep. John. You're absolutely right. Their defense is good. Their defense has kind of been lackluster as of late. I think this whole Aaron Rodgers thing rejuvenates them. I think you see the Jets not only cover this game. I think the Jets win this game. Jets are going to – this is how the script goes in the NFL, right? Rodgers is coming back. Miraculously, he's going to be practicing. He's going to come back. They're going to have themselves in a position to make the playoffs. Rodgers will hop back in there, and he's going to drive that ship into the playoffs. So I'm going to take the Jets here, not only to cover the uh, plus, what do we got, uh, their uh, three-point dog, plus three. I think they went out right. 20-18, Jets. Once, a time, once upon a time, I famously said, quote, ain't no way. Ain't no way about the Jets. Yeah. No, I don't believe that on the Jets down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I like the way you carved it out, though. You painted a fine picture. That's kind of what the NFL does, yeah. right? It's almost like, you know, a lot of script yeah. talk going on out there. A lot of people question <laughs> if that Achilles was even a, really a, an injury. Right, or right. Nick Baxter, what do you got, sir? J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Steelers and Little Hands going to get the Colts coming up in a couple of weeks. But first things first, they get the Cardinals. Zach Ertz uh, wanted out of... Of Arizona, wanted to play, so I'm assuming to win. So that happened earlier today. Not that that's a big deal whatsoever. Five-and-a-half-point favorites, Pittsburgh at home. Lay the five-and-a-half and give me the Steelers. Brent? Yeah, I like this, too. You know, I expect to see a little bit more out of Arizona even last week. And they just got their teeth kicked in. They got a horrible defense. I think Pittsburgh's rejuvenated, new offensive coordinator. They're actually scoring touchdowns now, which is pretty wild. Uh, you got Najee Harris bouncing back from the dead. I think uh, I like the Steelers here. I think the Steelers win 24-16, covering Nick that five-and-a-half. What you got, sir? I'll do the Steelers. Go Steelers. All right, Panthers and the Buccaneers, man. Carolina fired Frank Reich. Frank Reich, I don't know if that's ever happened before. A midseason firing in the same month, back-to-back years for the sitting head coach, Frank Reich, here in November of a year ago in Charlotte for Carolina this past week. And the Panthers, a one-win team on the road against the Buccaneers. We saw Tampa Bay's act. It's not all bad. But even at its worst, it is better than what Carolina is right now, regardless of their coaching situation. Five-point favorites to the Buccaneers. Lay the five. Give me Tampa Bay at home. Brent? Yeah, I mean, we've talked in, in depth about the Carolina squad. You know, they're struggling. They, you know, the Reich's gone now. That might change some things a little bit. But they're still they're out there to get that number one pick. Uh, I like Tampa Bay this week. And not only do I like them laying the five, John, it's going to be the My Larceny Bourbon Lock of the Week, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Lay the five. Nick Baxter. Tampa Bay. 
Dolphins and Commanders. Yeah, I thought maybe something was going to get done. I think Magic Johnson's sick and tired of that losing stuff with the Commanders. Yeah, it's not going to matter because it's going to continue. This is a fat number. This is a fat number, however, I believe in. Dolphins on the road against the Commanders. Lay the nine. And give me Mike McDaniel and his active wear on the sideline. And the Miami Dolphins. Brett. That's a big number. Uh, they're, you know, going in Washington here. I mean, this is definitely a backdoor cover opportunity. Uh, Sam Howell, he's been putting up some points. He's going to be he's going to be chucking the ball all day long. Uh, I think Miami wins the game. I don't think they cover the nine. Miami wins 31-23 means I will take Washington Commanders plus the nine. That is Nick Baxter. Miami. Broncos, Texans. Uh, the Texans three and a half point favorites. I've been really impressed with the Texans. However, last week, a huge missed opportunity, but good in the long run for the Colts, as we'll get to coming up in a minute. 54 yard field goal. Check that. It was a 58. 58. And then they actually can the kicker after he hit the crossbar on a 58 yarder. Uh, Jacksonville gets that win. Meantime, Texas at home against the Broncos. The Broncos would be one of those teams that would be a part of the AFC playoff picture that the Colts really don't have anything on right now. I mean, we've seen what happened with Buffalo. We're hoping what happens with Cleveland. You know, we know what has happened with some of these other teams right now, the AFC compared to the Colts being the seventh seed as a wild card. But Denver's a little bit different as they come hard charged with Sean Payton right now. Here's what I'm going to do. On the road in Houston, I'm going to take that three and a half and give me the Broncos, a new found decent team hitting the stretch drive when you need to here in December. Brent. Yeah, you know, you and you said everything you said spot on. I mean, Denver started the season one and five. They've won oh, the last yes. five games. They're starting to get some stuff going under Sean Payton. Um, I, I've been I've been all over this Houston Texan team. I think it's going to be a great game. I think this game comes down to a field goal. So at that point, I'll take that extra half point. Uh, I'm going to take the three and a half and join you. I'll take Denver this plus Nick three and a half. Baxter owns this dugout location. What do you got, buddy? Uh, we'll go Denver. I'll follow you guys on this one. Are you just following us blindly? It's like the I don't know if we're good enough for you to be doing that right there. All right. Uh, Larsity Bourbon Locks, Luna Zool, Tequila Shots, Week 13, the dugout on Virginia. Join us for the great food and the free samples. Uh, this is my pick because I just want to see the Browns lose, and really they should. Uh, that is still something that Colts fans and that also should because they got host. Colts got host in that home game a month ago against the Browns, but at some point you still have to make up for it. Browns on the road. They're getting three and a half at the Rams. I do not trust the Rams whatsoever. I just want to see the Browns lose. So bear the three and a half and give me the Rams at SoFi this weekend, Brent. Yeah, Rams have been playing some decent ball. They got, you know, two two wins in a row. But like I say, it's, uh, I mean, that Cleveland squad, I mean, they've got a great defense. Their, their offense has been struggling. Um, I, I think the Rams are going to continue this win. I buy the half point. Uh, give me the Rams, lay the three and a half. Nick Baxter. We'll go the same. We'll go the Rams. All uh, right. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I don't mind if Nick Sirianni loses some. I don't know why. I shouldn't feel that way, right? I mean, sh- ah, you know what? I can feel that way. Everybody feels that way about Matt Eberflus. Why can't I feel that way about uh, Nick Sirianni? Uh, the Eagles at home against the Niners. The, actually, the Niners are a three-point road favorite. Man, that seems like you got to take the Eagles all day. I, however, love what the Niners are doing defensively. Couple of bookends getting after the quarterback. No doubt problematic for Jalen Hurts. Lay the three. Give me the Niners on the road in what should be 
A humdinger in week 13, Brent Alverson. This is a tough one right here. Again, I think this is the game of the week. I want to see this game. I mean, you got you got two powerhouses. Like we mentioned, the 10-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles. You got the 8-3 and three San Francisco 49ers. I think you're right. What the Niners have added to defense, their defense is stacked. Um, but it's a home game for Philly, too. You're going to have a little bit of love there. I'm torn on this, John. Uh, that Ooh. being the case, I'm going to take the You know who the sang home. that song in the 1990s? Who's Torn. That? Natalie Imbruglia. She's from, I believe, Australia. Good day, mate. Anyway, I'm going to take the uh, Philadelphia She's Eagles. A one-hit wonder. At home, plus three <laughs> points. Give me the Eagles. Good call. Nick Baxter, hello. I'll take the 49ers. Oh, Brent Holvers is going to be there. And the awesome Sierra and Sager, their first time ever at Lambeau Field. We're most in the stands. It's going to be a cold evening at Lambeau and Green Bay. And all their fans are going to go out hunting. <laughs> And then they're going to wear their blaze orange into the stadium coming up on Sunday night. I'm doing this for you, brother. Actually, even more so, I'm going to do this for Sierra and Sage right here because I want to see them see the Packer win in their first game at Lambeau. Um, and I don't mind if Kansas City loses either. Don't get me wrong, because they played a dump. Um, Six-point favorites, Kansas City on the road. We may found maybe a newfound inspiration with Jordan Love a little bit here. Are we figuring some things out? Give me the six and give me the Packers Sunday night in the Halverson Bowl at Lambeau Field. Yes, sir. I mean, I'm really pumped, and this is going to be great, right? That big win. It's for Sage and Sierra. It's for the girls right there. Their first time up at Lambeau. They've been excited about this all year, and uh, luckily the Packers got the big W at Thanksgiving to, I think, secure this spot, not being flexed, right? So that's going to be a Sunday night game. Looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, Jordan Love, last three games, has really put up some – I mean, he's, he's looking good, finally. His stats are equivalent to Aaron Rodgers' stats, same time when he was coming out playing right after Favre. So – Watch out. I think Packers might do something here. It's going to be a close game uh, for sure. We all know Patrick Mahomes. They're never out of it. But uh, he doesn't really have anybody to throw to other than Kelsey. And uh, my girls are pretty excited that Taylor might be in the house, too, because uh, Taylor and Simone Bales, he'll be there. They like Taylor Swift, do they? They like Taylor Swift. Is Taylor Swift country? She was. Um, She's poppy. All right. Here's what I'm curious about. You guys are staying at the Best Western right across from the stadium. Yep. Now, is there any place to go to eat there? Do you have to get Skittles out of the machine? (laughs) There are several bars. It's a neighborhood, right, that you're in. There's oh. about six bars. And there's right. about five right by our hotel, and we're a block and a half to the stadium. So it's awesome. We're going to uh, the Prime Quarter uh, on Saturday night for dinner, which will be outstanding. we got a little field yeah, tour, Venison stadium there, tour. Because that's what's the hot thing right now. There's Venison all kinds there, of things right? up there, John. Yeah. There's all, all kinds of things. The cheese, though. you got to watch out for the sure. cheese. Matt, you know what, though? I, I love to make fun. I hate Arrowhead Stadium. What a dump. Oh, yeah. Luckily, we're not, not going to be there. We're going to so. Yeah, hate that. <laughs> Baxter, what do you got here, sir? I'll do the Chiefs. That's that's probably smart right there. I did it for sentimental reasons for the Halverson family girls right there. All right. <laughs> Bengals and Jaguars. Ooh, Jacksonville looks like that they're prime and good to go right now coming off that win over Houston last week. Oh, uh, the bingo, uh, the Bengals here are just kind of tightening things up for the remainder of the season and going to be done. And by the way, Colts get the Bengals coming up in week number 14. Eight and a half point favorites. The thing of it is, I don't truly trust Jacksonville with the number like this because that's the one that's going to screw you on a backdoor cover. However, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge wuss. So I'll lay the eight and a half and give me the Jaguars at home. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be tough on this one, John, because the Bengals just can't score. They just they've lost a, a lot of power. Um, I think they're going to be getting T. Higgins back, which which will be big. But still, they're just not they're not able to get him the ball uh, and in chase as well. It's going to have to be a lot of mixing. But I think Jaguars are putting up some points. I think they're going to pull this one out and cover. Give me the Jags. Lay the eight and a half. They win 24-13. He is Nick Baxter. I'll take uh, the Jags. All right. Must-win situation for the Colts. Don't give me this. It's not a must-win situation. I don't want to hear that anymore. If I tell you it's a must-win situation. Hey, Bill, if I tell people out there it's a must-win situation for the Colts, is it? Absolutely, positively right. If you're watching via YouTube Live, it's a must-win. All right, you got Tennessee. It was a much different set of circumstances. Anthony Richardson, most of that game, remember, that's when he dinged up his shoulder and he was done. So it was different. I think Gardner came in and played pretty well, but that's the key here. Gardner Minshew, for the love of God, take care of the football. All right, we don't want to see your happy feet. And then Shane Steichen, don't put him in a situation where we have to see two or three of his dance routines teens in the backfield with no pressure just be steady eddie and always ready if you're gardner Minshew, you get that and you get some quarterback pressure on will levis the rookie that's bound to make mistakes and you've got a winner right here as it stands you got the colts are one point favorites on the road in nashville to me i think i'm gonna take that i'll lay the one colts win 23 to 16 over the Titans go two games above 500 and do what I said they need to do must win in Nashville Sunday. Brent. This is a must win. You're absolutely right, John. I just um, I don't think it's going to happen. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're right. But I'm going to take I'm going to take Tennessee you here. You have to explain my this six, to me a little bit more in depth as to why. My sixth home dog here. These home dogs this time of year. We're talking week 13. We got seven home dogs on the slate. I'm taking six of them. They're going to cover. You're going to get these points. But you look at Derrick Henry. He came back last week, scored two touchdowns. Still not running all that great. But, uh, you know, Will Levis came out hot week one. He has not done much since. I think this is a get-right game for him. Uh, I think Derrick Henry has a field day. I'm going to tell you, and you got Jonathan Taylor, who's probably out, right? So, yeah. uh, my, oh, he uh, is out. He yeah. is out, yeah. My yeah. Lunasville yeah. shot of the week for fantasy is going to be Zach Moss. Yeah. And the Zach attack, another one go back. Son if he's not available, uh, Zach Charbonnet for the uh, CLC Hawks right another one out there available. So, But I think you're going to see uh, with Taylor out, that's going to be – I mean, I know Moss has done a lot of great things. I just think this is going to take a big thing out of for him. I think Tennessee wins the game 23-20. It's a close one. I, I just don't Tennessee think it's – I, I think that, to me, the, the, the Taylor – listen – Taylor's the only game breaker, and that sucks. That sucks big. That's why a lot of Colts fans are asking, why can't you wrap that bad boy up and go with it and not have surgery and miss a couple of weeks or whatever. But, yeah, again, that's what happened. That's where we are. However, it comes down to the quarterback and the play caller to not put the quarterback in the situations that we saw in that second quarter. That could have been much worse last week against Tampa Bay, and it wasn't. What do you got, Nick Baxter? Oh, Colts. Must win. Must win. I love Nick Baxter, man. Must Must win win from Nick Baxter. Got a final? I go 23-20. 23-20. This is your Larsley Bourbon Locks Luna's Old Tequila Shots for week number 13 right there. What do you guys think? Yeah. Look at Green County in the house over here. (laughs) It's like Aggie's Funhouse back in 1993 in this place right now. No, I um. I'll talk about this in my chapel a little bit later on. There's no doubt, Brent, what you bring up without Jonathan Taylor is major. There's no way around it. And you can't trust this Colts team. You, you just They're not good enough to be able to trust. Hey, they're going to go down there and do this. Or, hey, they're going to be at home and do that. 
I, to me, I still think with Zach Moss and not turning the football over, if they turn the football over, they're toast. Absolutely. And really, that's the way that it is against anybody. But uh, uh, to me, must win. And that is uh, in Tennessee coming up on Sunday. And you know what? You don't want to get outmaneuvered by Mike Vrabel either. Because not only does everybody around here not like it, but especially the owner of the team does not like it when Mike Vrabel, as he often has, has gotten over on the Colts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned, though, Minshew. I mean, Minshew's been playing outstanding. He really has. It's going to come down to him. It's going to come down to him finding those, some yeah, of those just receivers. Just making and... sure you don't make mistakes. I don't care really what he does. Just don't throw it to the other team. Well, and I, like I'll give it that interception. I thought it was a miscommunication, whether it was his fault or, you know, Josh Downs' fault on Sunday. That's one thing. But then, you know, Shane inexplicably, you know, had him throw it around. And there were some other opportunities for him to get picked and it be, being much bigger of a play that, that didn't transpire, which was good for the Colts. But, yeah, that to me and being able to get after Will Levis to force him into mistakes because I don't trust that secondary. I just don't want it to get to whether you have to play in and play out. Trust the secondary. Thus, you make something happen up front. That's what I'm looking at right there.